Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of the podcast. On the pod today we have another return guest but as a four-time world powerlifting champion it is safe to say he is a guest who can return as many times as he likes. Welcome yeah. back to the podcast Julian McCarrow. <laughs> Wow, that's the best intro I've ever had. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you like that? Um, I'm so excited to have you back. I loved the podcast we did. I think it was two or three years ago. We did mm-hmm. a really great podcast on you, on powerlifting. And some of that I want to retouch on again today because I just think it's it's really great kind of content. And then there's obviously some, there's been twists and turns in your, uh, in your journey. So there's going to be a, a bit of a new narrative as well. But let's just start with a little... Um, refresher course can you please introduce yourself to my audience and just brief them on who you are and what you do and and why you're why you're all things podcast i'm julian um i do powerlifting Uh, i do it sort of as a as a hobby i would say so i don't get paid for powerlifting um but yeah i'm i am a four-time world champion um i'm like a five or six time british champion um i've set quite a few world records during that time Oh, and I'm also a vegetarian as well. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get onto that because obviously we're going to talk about all things training and nutrition, but it's so funny. People need to understand Julian is like a beast, as you would expect, (laughs) but he's like a beast of a man. And um, you just would never think looking at him that he's not a meat eater. So it's, it's quite interesting. And we definitely will get onto that. I... Love it that you're like, yeah, it's just a bit of a hobby. I've broken a few world records. No biggie, <laughs> no props. It's like, what? This is amazing. Um, okay, so talk to me about powerlifting. How would you define it as a standalone sport? As in what does it actually mean? And what are the disciplines required? Cool. So powerlifting, I would say, is an all-out like strength power sport um, as opposed to Olympic lifting, which is like a blend of power, um, very technical. So the core disciplines or the core lifts in powerlifting would be a squat, so a back squat. Um, The next lift would be a bench press. Uh, And the final lift would just be a deadlift. Uh, The way that it generally goes is you'll have a full power meet. So you'll usually do all three disciplines and you get three attempts at each. So you'll get three attempts at squat, Three attempts at bench press, three attempts at deadlift. Your best attempt of the three, if if they pass the standard and they're given the 
green flag basically by the referees. Best attempt of each lift uh, is added together to give you your total. And your total is usually what determines what place you are um, in the competition. Oh, and you'll also be in different categories. So you have weight categories, age categories. So I wanted to ask you, what what's your favorite lift? What are you the best at? What do you struggle with the most at? And is there a reason? <laughs> is there a reason why? My best lift is my, or my favorite lift as well as my deadlift. Yeah. For sure. Um, I I feel like it's just a, it's quite a bro movement. <laughs> <laughs> like most people can ping, pick things up off the ground, but the more you do it, um, the more you'll refine it and the better you'll get it. My least favorite lift is squat, but not because I'm adverse to like leg day. <laughs> it's just because. Evidently, <laughs> having seen your legs, which look like massive prop hams on the, in the middle of a, a turkey dinner. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> no, it's just because. So when I first started weight training, I like, I bought a kit from Argos. Oh. Like those plastic dumbbell kits. <laughs> and I just trained in my bedroom. I didn't have a, a uh, like a rack or a bench. So I couldn't really squat. All I could do is floor press which was awkward like rolling it on top of me and then pressing it yeah and deadlift yeah um so i just didn't squat for years and then when i went to squat in the gym i just sort of found it quite awkward like my mobility wasn't there i didn't really have anyone guiding me so i just felt found it uncomfortable so i did machines which is which is fine like there's nothing wrong with machines i did leg press and leg extension which was fine but then when i decided i wanted to do powerlifting because i had neglected that specific movement for so long it was it was Hard. lacking yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah i yeah. I, I get that i also just i much preferred deadlift to squats and there's something else i want to ask you about on this topic in a minute but i also just find with squats like there's something about it it's just so hard that sometimes I get like I even get a bit anxious before like a big leg day session thinking about squats whereas deadlifts I think are far more technical therefore far more difficult from like a central nervous system technique point of view but they're so much more fun once you can do it like and I and yeah. I I find them almost easier on my body in a way than a squat do you know what I mean yeah 100 percent. so I well for me personally I feel like the the in the back of my head the like the the person who's afraid of getting injured or anything like mm. that is definitely loudest when it's a squat yeah <laughs> because yeah. you can mess up on so many aspects of a squat like i've messed up my shoulder on a squat i've seen people mess up their wrist and when this i'm talking about when you go really really extreme and really heavy <laughs> yeah um, yeah so <laughs> it's weird because when you do it so you're i'm usually quite nervous before the squat like as you said the day of the squat when I've done it, I'm usually quite quite pleased. Deadlift, I'm always looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, and I'll just be happy regardless. But yeah, squat, I don't know. You have to be built different to really, really love it. And there I are know. some people like that. Yeah, the fucking weirdos who like climb Mount Everest. <laughs> I'm like, I, you could not pay me enough money to have to hire a yak to put my bag on because just climbing is so hard. Like, absolutely not. I wanted to ask you, actually, I can't believe, I don't even think we did this last time I had you on and I'm already like three questions in and I have, I don't think I've ever asked you this. What are your numbers? What do you squat? What's your best squat bench and dead, bro? Oh, so, so, my, <laughs> so my best in the gym, my best squat in the gym is 300 kilo. Uh, my best bench press in the gym is 210. My best deadlift in the gym 
is 340. And wow. then at competition, my best bench, no, my best squat is 287. Bench press 195, deadlift 332. That's really interesting. So you find that you really hit your best in training and then on competition day, you should probably expect it to drop down a tiny bit. For the majority of people, yeah. And there's a number of reasons why. The, big, the biggest one is because competition, you can't control many factors. Like mm. you have a set amount of rest. So for example, if you're in a small regional competition and there's two of you in your class, you might not have as long a rest as if you're in an international comp and there's like 10 people all taking a turn. Yeah. So just imagine you do your massive squat and you're like, okay, I need 10 minutes rest. Yeah. But they're like, no, you have three minutes. <laughs> I'm amazed at that. I would have thought it would be more control internationally controlled is in this is how much rest you get. And this is the, I just would have thought that that's to, how they do to it. To an extent, but if you have a big flight, 100% you're going to get the longest rest. If you yeah. have a big competition, but if it's a short one, they do try to add in, I think at least three minutes, but- That's not enough like, for a power lifter. Yeah. <laughs> That's <you're> not- exerting. <laughs> I would have said like bare minimum five minutes for a power lifter, like minimum. It honestly depends on the competition and yeah. Also other things can happen. So as I mentioned, you only get three attempts at the lift. So let's say I've got knee wraps, maybe I, was in a rush, actually it happened before. I've been in a rush, I didn't do my one rap properly, but I still was limited on time. So I went on to try to do it. Um, I messed up, but I knew 100% I could do it. Yeah. But that, that's your third attempt. There's no more attempts, so it's done. Whereas in the gym, you can like, okay, recoup, yeah. get your head together, give it another try. So that's yeah. generally why you can normally lift more in the gym than in a competition. Yeah, because you set your own kind of comfort zone, I guess. That's really interesting. Okay. All right. So how many competitions a year do you or like most powerlifters aim to compete in? Is it like bodybuilding where it's like they'll do like, a, they'll have like a season where they'll do like two or three kind of competitions and then they have an off season for a year or like how do, how, how do you kind of structure it? I would say on average, I would expect most beginners to do about three to five per year. Oh, wow, that's um, a lot. Yeah, just because you can do like regional ones and up and coming ones. So people usually use it just to get used to it. Yeah. Um, when you start to do more like international competitions, I would expect three maximum really. And how Especially close together are they? So for me, I you would usually do the British and World Championships. So British is normally in the summer. World Championships is normally around November time. Um, but it depends because in theory, you can do as many competitions as you like. So I have seen some people just rack them up yeah. and they'll just do regional, regional, regional. Um, it can be good for experience, but I think it's just boosting their ego to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, this, so this is probably going to ask you again. So, cause obviously I work mainly in physique and that's aesthetic and obviously I lift and I like to lift heavy and I, that's how I got into what I do now was lifting. But um, I don't know a, a lot. Well, I know, I know more than most uh, that don't do powerlifting, but I don't know a lot about it. So what would be optimal in terms of the body, in terms of your performance? Like what's an optimal kind of acceptable amount of competitions to do per year? And it doesn't matter how far apart they're spaced? I would imagine two is probably optimal. Right. Because you can you can get platform rust 
So obviously you're lifting that as to different um, standards. You're lifting to like judges' commands. Yeah. And then you can get nervous in front of a big crowd. You can get nervous in front of judges. Um, so if you're not used to it, then that can play a factor. Also, you have to peak. So with any strength training, you'll go through like cycles. You can't, unfortunately, you can't get infinitely stronger. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you can't just chuck on 1% every, every month. It doesn't yeah. really work. So generally, like you'll start here, you'll slowly go up and then you'll drop down because you need to rest or after a couple of weeks and you go up and rest. So some people can plan it. So maybe the start of the year, they'll do a comp. Maybe middle of the year, they'll do another comp because that will allow your body time to rest, to recover. You might need a mental break and also to just get stronger. Yeah, well, yeah. And I suppose that, well, we're going to get onto this, but the longer you've been lifting, the longer you need in training to try and increase that strength. Talk to me about the structure and the programming of your training in the lead up to a competition. You know, what does the weekly training split look like? Is there accessory work in there? I know that you're a fan of accessory work. And if so, why? How do you program deloads uh, into it? And how do you taper your training in the lead up to the competition? So I want like the bird's eye view, big picture. Mm -hmm. This is what the whole kind of macro cycle looks like. Okay, so I'll pretend like, you're going to compete and I'm just giving you a breakdown of what you need to expect. Yes, I love that. Okay, I'm, okay, I'm in, right. okay. So basically I would normally do, there's, I do it in like two waves. Um, I've occasionally done an 11 week block. So I'll start off quite light, maybe 60%. Um, and I'll build up my weight over the time with the plan to peak or potentially compete at the end of the 11 weeks. Um, the issue which most people find is if you're not super young and super new to it, doing 11 weeks intense training is super hard. Like you won't yeah. recover. Yeah. Like, yeah. You'll either get sick, injured, or you'll just fatigue and you just, you won't make any progress. Yeah. So unless you're very elite and you act, you just monitor your rest or you're very young, young people can just get away with it. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you won't recover. So generally I find six week blocks to be very good. So I'll ideally, I'll do like a six week block. So let's say you can squat a hundred kilos for one. You're, I would say at the end of the six weeks, it'll be nice to do either a hundred kilos for two or maybe like 110 for one. Okay. So you've done that six weeks, you've progressed up to that, you've hit the 110. Mm -hmm. um, then you'll have a deload. So for me, that's usually, I'll reduce the weight to about, 60% of what I had been doing the previous week. So it's going to be drastically lighter. Yeah. And I would be doing minimal reps, like three reps. It's to, it's just to keep moving so you don't forget the movement pattern so you don't get stiff. And I'll do like yeah. one or two sets. Literally just go in there, do a little bit of weight, do a lot of stretching, um, and then aim to be out of there. And you want to really have a mental rest as well so you're not stressing uh you're just relaxing and and you're comp because the issue with some people who take a hundred percent deload and just don't go to the gym sometimes they'll be worried that how would it feel when i go back to the gym next week yeah yeah so doing a little bit of weight will so normally get rid of that worry and then yeah. the aim is to start off the the next six week block just a little bit heavier so if you started off week one at 60 kilos 
I would say maybe try to start off at 62 or 65. You chip away. Um, the more junior or beginner you are, the stronger or the quicker you're going to make progress. So if you started off at 60 kilos, the next six weeks, you'll probably start off at like 80 kilos. Or yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those newbie games are real. That honeymoon yeah. phase of lifting, <laughs> so lovely. Yeah, yeah go on. Um, and then with regards to a competition, for me, I usually am a few kilos heavier than my actual weight class. Oh, right. So it becomes quite technical. Um, yeah, yeah. So maybe when I'm four weeks out, if I'm three kilos too heavy, which is a very small percent for my body weight because I'm like 130-ish kilos. Um, <laughs> Normal. <laughs> because if I was to say to someone super light, you have to drop three kilos, they'll be like, how? Yeah, Whereas, no fair. Yeah, if I'm like super heavy, it's it's not that I, bad. Yeah, it's not as much but, of a stretch. But I would usually try to really plan my nutrition. So I'll try to have most of my carbs because that's like for me the fuel around my training. I'll have yeah. most of them before um, my meal so often people are like oh you're gonna cut out your carbs i'm like no i'm just gonna move it yeah not <laughs> for a power lifter it. it's just about no. yeah <laughs> you commented on a post they did about this actually it was so complimented you're like oh this is a great answer <laughs> but yeah meal timing like people just i think there's so much emphasis now on like calories and it's not about this it's not about that it's not, but I, that people actually have kind of like poo-pooed meal, meal timing and if you have a performance goal it's fucking important to be smart yeah. about it's not even a theoretical thing because I personally have noticed a big difference. Like I might have been going away on the holiday. So I've tried to eat loads and loads of um, food like the night before because I wanted to train really early. Mm -hmm. But for me, I found that the way my body digests the food and it just doesn't work well as opposed to if I've had like steady meals throughout the day yeah. and a big meal before I train allowed to digest. Everyone is a bit different, but... Um, yeah, if I'm overweight for a comp, I'll generally try to have most of my carbs before I lift. And the reason is because my body needs to use that. So hopefully it would use most of that for fuel. And if me moving around my meals isn't helping me to like reduce weight in any way, I'll usually add in either hit. So I'll be on the bike for 10 minutes doing like um, some intense uh, training or... I would do a water cycle, which is yeah. again a bit more more technical. <laughs> but the thing with a water, like a water load, is is very specific for like performance training and like boxers and people with weight cuts. So okay. it's not generally for most people. One of my best friends is. Uh, I should actually get him on. I don't know why I've never had him on. He's a uh, like a jujitsu champion, world champion. Wow. And yeah, he. I remember. I can't. I don't know why. Oh, we were at a wedding. He was doing a water cut in Ibiza a few years ago oh. before competition for a wedding, and he was just like, he was like a zombie. It was awful oh. watching him, but he he killed it. He won. But I mean, it, it was absolutely <laughs> awful watching it happen, especially because we were all pissed in Ibiza, and he was there like a sl half asleep on the lunch table. It's like, oh dear. Anyway, oh, yeah. carry on. <laughs> oh yeah, it's grim. But that I feel like when you when you like start to get more in tune with your body, you realize the importance of nutrition, the importance of rest. Yeah. Um, so the closer it's bad, but the closer I get to a comp, the more I focus on rest. But really. If I want to be optimal, I should focus on like just sleeping, yeah. sleeping, water intake. And then because I've been lifting heavy for like a solid six weeks, I'll usually 
um, have a few more sessions of like soft tissue massage or yeah. anything like that. How do you, when you have done water cuts in the past, do you have any things in place to make sure that it doesn't get dangerous at all? Because I know that sometimes people can find that they get yeah. really bad cramping or that they start passing out. Like, is there a way if anyone's lifting that does? And by the way, guys, just for everybody listening out there, this is something literally for a specific, as Julian said, specific type of performance athlete. Um, this is not something anyone else should be fucking around with because it, it can be really dangerous. But is there a way that you do it to make sure that your your body is as safe as possible? Is there like, I don't know, any supplements you take or um, any hacks? There's nothing I'd specifically take. I mean, I do, well, that's a lie. So when I'm walking around, I do carry <laughs> uh, sweets and salt. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, good. Yeah. And water. <laughs> so, yeah. Just in case I get lightheaded, I'm like, oh no, I need sugar, have sweets. Yeah. Or if it, as you said, cramping or anything like that, then I would just have a some salt and water yeah. to help with the, the rehydration. Yeah. Sounds weird, but no, it's, it's, what that, the body, it's what the body needs. It's what the body needs all in equal measure. So people think of hydration, they always just think of water. They don't understand that it's a, a balance of, of salt, yeah. sugar, water. And I had Dame Kelly Holmes on actually. And she used to be like, she, she was kind of like laughing at energy drinks. She was like orange juice, half a teaspoon of salt, yeah. water, done. Like that's, what, yeah. that's your energy drink. That's all you need. And I just found that really refreshing and, and quite funny. Um, I like how you were saying about you know, again, another podcast yes we had on was Zach George, the CrossFit guy. And he, guy, he's like a really great CrossFitter. I just completely demoted him to a gender. Um, but he he was saying that, you know, he trains like six days a week, doing like three different sessions a day of every discipline, obviously, because it's CrossFit. And I was like, whoa, that's a lot. He was like, no, 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 I'm adapted. Like it took me years to get to that level. I find that really interesting. And I guess with that adaptation, when you realize that your body can handle that amount of training, that's also probably when you start to see that plateau happen, right? <laughs> yeah, it can be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very annoying. So I feel like you spend all this time battering your body and then your body's like, whoa, I need to do something to stop getting battered. I'm going to get stronger. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, I'm in a good place. I don't need to get stronger anymore. <laughs> and you're like, oh, so I have to figure out how to batter it even more. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is, so this but, is what I was going to ask you. So this is the next question. I said, I've written here, how do you as a very mature lifter, and, and by that, I mean, you know, advanced and adapted, break through training plateaus? Like what are the typical for you and just for power lifters, like blood flow restriction? Like how do you try and break through it? Uh, for me, I like to learn. So like I'll check out stuff you post, I'll watch videos, just anyone. I'll ask people questions, people stronger than me. I'll just bug them and be like, oh, what have you noticed works best? Um, so for me, for example, like my I'm a very, for me personally, I like to think I'm a quite a good deadlifter. That's my stronger of the three lifts. Mm -hmm. um, and what I used to do is one of my favorite deadlifters, I just would ask him like, what have you found work best for you? And then I would just implement those exercises. Not everything worked for me yeah. um, that he did, but generally it's just asking other people what they do. I haven't found any specific supplements or anything like that work. It's just consistency and Re being realistic yeah. because obviously as you said the longer you train the less gains you generally make mm -hmm. so you have to be realistic and be like i'm not going to make 20 kilo pr every session yeah. maybe i can pr in technique maybe i can pr in recovery maybe i can pr in the quality of the rep 
So I really focus on that because you want the weakest link in the chain to be strong. And then generally the whole machine will be really strong. That really nice to me brings me back around to the accessory work. So how do you factor that into your kind of training, which is obviously largely performance focus? How do you kind of navigate your training split to include accessory work, you know, so I don't know, shoulder work to help your bench, like that kind of thing? Yeah, unfortunately, I've found the best accessories through recovery. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was naive. <laughs> um, You're like, no. I, I 100% do a lot of accessories because yeah, it's all well and good doing, like for me, squat bench and deadlift. But because the body is so complex, um, you can strengthen it in many other ways. And for example, one of the top accessories I find for bench press, other than bench pressing, is ironically upper back work. Oh, really? Because if you have a, yeah, if you have a really big, strong yeah. back, yeah, it's a platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. People uh, who can't see, I'm literally, <laughs> I'm like like a rocket. My hands are like a rocket powered by my back. I'm trying to imagine what you're saying. Yeah, go on. So it's, yeah, it's like it's it's a so the upper back work is just an opposite of the bench press. So I'll do a bench press, but then I'll go away and I'll do like a chest supported seal row or bent over row, because then I know that that will help build the foundation. Um, for my back, which in turn should help me be able to press more, have something stronger to press off. Because it's it's sort of like in this example, if you imagine that you have a really like unsturdy wooden bench, which is just rocking and everything, you're gonna probably struggle to press very heavy. If it's super solid and sturdy, you're probably gonna be able to press a bit more. So I, I definitely focus on accessories. I make time for accessories. Um, and I will usually do heavyweight many sets but lower reps yeah for my main lifts accessories i'll generally do hypertrophy so yeah. almost like a bodybuilder-esque so lower rep uh, lower sets but higher reps because i want to build the tissue yeah. um, i want to build the yeah the muscle because in turn i believe that having that mass will help me move mass like mass moving yeah. mass basically 100 i it's really interesting. I get so many um, of my clients, like, I don't understand, like, hypertrophy is strength and strength is hypertrophy. Like, why does it require different training? I'm like, there are, it's like a Venn diagram. In the middle, there's a crossover and you get strength and hypertrophy, but they're, they're different, they're different protocols of training to get a different result. And, and but yeah, Julian's one of those athletes, and I think we talked about this in our last podcast, who he doesn't, you know, you th- I think you think powerlifter a lot of the time, you you don't really think of someone who's like phys- in physique shape, but Julian's definitely in that middle Venn diagram where he's just like, mm-hmm. I reckon you, I reckon you could compete at a bodybuilding level, to be honest, but not that you'd find that remotely fun. <laughs> okay, before we move on to nutrition and what's been going on with you lately, which I'm, I don't, I feel bad saying this, but I'm excited to hear about this story because <laughs> I'm so confused. I only know little bits of it, and I need to know the whole thing. You kind of touched on it before, and you you kind of said that you like to drop weight. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is something I've always wondered about as someone who's never um, competed at a powerlifting meet. How does a powerlifter go about choosing the right kind of weight class or competition for them? Because I know that you could do it either way, right? You could drop weight, potentially, maybe, and I'm interested to hear you talk about this, lose strength uh, when you do that, but be more competitive in a lighter weight class. Or you can aim to gain weight, potentially increase strength, but maybe be less competitive in a heavier weight class. 
Is that do I have that right? And can you That's please? 100%. Yeah, okay. that's 100% it, yeah. Yeah, okay, right. So talk talk <laughs> me through your, your thoughts on this and, and also about potentially losing strength when you are cutting. So the the first aspect of the question, so like how do you determine the clasp? I usually say, unless you're going to break some form of record, like a British record, any record, I don't recommend cutting because yeah. you are going to lose strength. There's There's no way about it. Like yeah. you're just going to lose strength. If if you're naturally 100 kilos and then you decide you want to cut down to like 90 kilos or maybe 95 kilos because you can break a record, then that makes sense. But if you're cutting just because you want to be on the top of that weight class, you're going to lose a couple of kilos on some of your lifts. Mm. Um, so for me, I usually sit around three kilos heavier just because... Basically, I compete at 125, so I usually sit around 128 to 130, depending on how much I've eaten, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm competitive at that class. And to be honest, because I prefer the way I look, like, leaner. Yeah. Um, like, I just prefer to be that. Whereas if I was in the next class, I would be up to 140 kilos. And realistically, you want to grow into your class. You, want, you don't really want to be small in your class. Unless you're beginning. If you're beginning and you're starting out, then there's no pressure. Yeah. But if you're aiming to be like a top three, you're trying to win your class, you're trying to set records, you want to be as competitive as possible. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit of a balance. Um, no, but it's really interesting. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I think if, 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 like you said, like mass moving mass, if, if shifting heavy fucking load was my goal, you wouldn't catch me cutting into a competition, like you say, unless yeah. the stakes are really high and someone's yeah. dangling a, like a, a trophy, a silverware or a, or a world record in your face. It makes total sense. Lastly, talk to me about your nutrition because you are a veggie. Um, so A, why? And B, how do you make sure that you get an adequate protein for recovery um, and and kind of muscle protein synthesis throughout the course of the day as a veggie? Oh, yeah. So I've been veggie my whole life. Um, my parents just brought me up vegetarian. So my mom is vegetarian. And my dad eats meat. <laughs> um, right. So uh, from what I understand, because I've actually asked my mom a few times, I was like, why are you vegetarian? <laughs> so <laughs> she's Caribbean. And when she was in Jamaica, I think they used to eat quite a few, like, just weird stuff <laughs> when she was younger. And it just put her off. So she said when she had her own kid, they wouldn't be eating meat because she didn't have a good experience eating meat when she was younger. Yeah. So me being the firstborn, she was like, yeah, you're vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get a choice. But you stuck like, with it. Like, because you could have at any yeah. point been like, no, I don't really want to do that. But you're like, you're fine with it, which is amazing, again, considering what you do. And by the way, a lot of people listening will be like, there are like incredible athletes and bodybuilders at elite levels who are vegan. So obviously it's doable, but I would say it is suboptimal. So I, yeah. it's, it's still really interesting to ask about. Yeah, no, I have, I have stuck to it. So... The more like I read into it, because I was just intrigued as to the benefits of like eating meat and not. Um, for me personally, it was just I just started to get a soft spot for animals. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when I was when I was younger, I was always like, no, I don't really care because my dad would eat meat, and I remember a few times we would have like Christmas turkeys, and he would have them at home and like fatten them up, and they. Would oh my be god! Little, well, no wonder. Pets. No. And then he would just. 
kill them. <laughs> savage. No wonder you're like, no, I'm okay. I think most kids would be like, oh my God, don't kill the turkey. Although turkeys are pretty ugly, to be fair, but still. But yeah, that, that would happen. And then I never really thought anything of it. But then, I don't know, I just... I just started to get a bit more of a soft spot and I was like, oh, I've never really had any issues up until now. Maybe I'll keep on it. But yeah. then the more I was reading into, oh, am I deficient in anything? Am I missing out on anything? The more I would put emphasis on trying to have a more balanced, as balanced as I can, vegetarian diet. Yeah. So I tried to have less processed food. I tried to have a lot of natural food. But 100%, like from a, performance and just general living aspect the most optimal way would be a balance between like meat and mm. having vegetarian that's i don't really understand people who argue to say nope you should only be vegetarian or nope you should only eat meat it doesn't make sense like, it doesn't, it doesn't. i mean it, but this you know the best diet is a balanced diet and in yeah. in all contexts like you say macronutrient but actually as a vegetarian it's really bloody easy really easy yeah, to get yeah but you can get all the protein you want a vegan is a whole other thing and there's so many people who are like no i eat loads of beans and it's like okay but that's not a complete protein so no yeah, if you're a vegan it's, it's really really hard like you've got soya mycoprotein it's like a really small select few things you can do to get your complete protein in without having to combine plant-based foods which then sees your fats and your carbs and, and essentially your calories kind of climb 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 but a vegetarian like you get your yeah. eggs you get whey yeah, eggs, dairy, yeah, yeah. you get your greek yogurt like you're sweet yeah yeah pretty much like my diet's pretty boring so it'll be like eggs oats rice yeah <laughs> lentils beans and i do have like i do have plant-based stuff as well i do have protein shakes as well so people yeah. often wonder if I have that. But yeah, I do have protein um, shakes as well. Yeah, um, yeah. And I've thankfully never had any health issues or like I never get sick, for example. Like I don't have any deficiencies or to be honest, though, I, I do believe a lot of a big factor is my genetics, I would say. I've always naturally been big. This is something which I think people should also remember that I've always naturally been big. Yeah. If I remember correctly, even before I started training, I was like 115 kilos. Wow. So, Well, this is the thing that you don't, this is, this is the thing, you don't become an elite level athlete or a world champion of fucking anything unless you have the right genetics and the right work ethic. And if you have yeah. those two, you can't have one, you have to have both. And if you have both, you're sweet. But yeah, it is. I mean, look at James. James is like, I don't, I don't know any other white men that look like James. James is yeah. like- Six foot five, uh, he's 120 kg. Absolutely, like even when he hasn't been to the gym or dieted or thought about anything for like months, two months, three months, he still looks like a fucking yeah. genetic freak of nature. Yeah, like it's insane yeah. that like, everybody thinks he's on steroids and he's not, but everyone thinks he is because he's just, I just, he's just a complete anomaly. And the thing is, is that he, he worked, he wasn't he wasn't the best rugby player on the team ever. Like he had to work his Savage. fucking ass off. Yeah, well, it's true. <laughs> he wasn't like, you know, a Danny Cipriani, like gifted. Oh, so like, you just watch fair. them and you're like, oh my God, you are meant to do this. But he was the one who was like staying late after every training session. Like his recovery days, he was in two or three physio um, appointments on that day. Like he worked his butt off to get to international level, but he had the genetics to get him there. Um, yeah. And I love that you touch on that because I think in, in my community now, there's such a big push of like, it's not genetics, it's hard work. It's like, it's both. You don't win yeah. Miss Olympia 
without that, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Because just briefly, like even the topic of steroids and like Olympia, I'm also natural. Yeah. I was surprised at how many people just in the gym are on some form of PD or, and they they look good, but they don't look amazing. And that, that shows because like, if you had the top tier, like Olympia genetics, and then you probably took similar stuff to what these guys take all the time, then you'll be like, whoa. And then you're Ronnie <laughs> Coleman. <laughs> yeah, you're like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise everyone would be on the stage, wouldn't they? Because it's not like these guys in the gym aren't training hard and they're not taking whatever they feel like they need to take. It's, yeah. Um, no, it's such yeah. a good point. It's such a good point and a really interesting, I guess, lens to look at it through. Um, okay, let's move on to present day. Talk to me about, and I really don't even know the answer to this. What happened in your sleep? <laughs> What happened? <laughs> no one knows. So, <laughs> so basically, I could have laughed now because thankfully I'm like pretty much okay. But like, I somehow caused genuine nerve damage. So I woke up at like 3 a.m. in the night and I was just like stuck. I've had it where like my neck's stiff before and you sort of wake up and you're like, oh, it's stiff and then it gets a bit better. It was locked. <laughs> like I was the tin man. I couldn't move around and I couldn't go back to sleep. It was like that painful and I couldn't take anything because it's nerve damage. You can't take paracetamol or ibuprofen because it doesn't, um, it doesn't reduce nerve pain. Yeah. So I just woke up and I was like, oh, great. And so I spent like the rest of the night just trying to stretch and foam roll, but I was just stuck. So I went to the gym because we have a physio in our gym the next morning. Um, and like they did two hours of like massage sessions to loosen up. They loosen off the neck. But then the whole of like my right side, like my arm and stuff just wasn't working. So like I couldn't grip, I couldn't hold things and it was super weak. So every now and then, so for example, if I tried to like flex my bicep, it would just like pulse because it just couldn't hold the- Tension. It couldn't hold, yeah, it couldn't hold the tension. And I was like, this is weird. And then I just went to try and do any rehab work. So like negatives or anything like that, I just couldn't. Um, so I had to, do I can't remember what pain you know what I think no pain medicine actually worked so I was coming into work because if I was at home I was just thinking about it too much so I was coming into work and like I had a box and I was sort of like this because this was the only position which didn't hurt oh my god <laughs> so I was like oh yeah this is cool and then after I think after five days the pain started to stop but then the muscle just it wasn't working so I had to get rehab work i was doing it like three times a week um just getting soft tissue massages and rehab work uh to try and figure out what was going on because no one really knew what was going on yeah um and still when i was trying to like brush my teeth my arm would just drop so i'd just be like this and just drop <laughs> that's mad they said i well i know i used to sleep really badly i'd like sleep like this like on my front and yeah. I was, I'm apparently a really aggressive sleeper. <laughs> like at one point, at one point in my old house, I woke up and like my head was bleeding because at some point I had by the bed frame. What? Yeah. Like so my now daughter. That's what like my one year old does. <laughs> she's like walking, she's covered in sick, she's got a massive egg shaped bruise on her head. I'm like, what has happened in the night? Right, carry on. I, I don't know why I'm so aggressive in my sleep. I, I don't know. Maybe it's like a Jacqueline Hyde and yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but, mean Julian. 
But yeah, so they said basically I slept funny and I compressed a nerve for multiple hours in my sleep. So imagine like you're like this, but the nerve is like pinched. Yeah. It was one of the nerves in my neck. It was pinched for hours. Because it was pinched for hours, it genuinely caused nerve damage. Like they couldn't send the signal. Is this partly because of how big you are as well? Or could yeah. this happen to anyone? Well, well, to an extent, because I guess we're all proportional. But if you sleep really badly, the bigger you are, the more likely it's going to happen. So what was the protocol to, to rehab you? I went to like four different physio. I was getting so annoyed. Yeah. I was like, tell me what I need to do to fix this and I will do it. Yeah. And we were just doing constant physio and they were like, you just have to keep, you basically have to rebuild that movement pattern in the attempt to make the nerve fire off to reconnect because yeah. obviously yeah. the brain is sending the signal. Yeah. So I was doing like curls, but negative. So I'd literally hold my hand up and then slowly let it come down because that's all I could do. And then I progressed to like a band coming up. Yeah. <laughs> and I progressed to like three kilo dumbbell. And I had to do that from February up until realistically about May or June. That's how long it was four, Like four months of just re- of trying to get that. Could you feel it yeah. coming back? Or could you feel the... I, I could feel it coming back. Yeah, so actually that's a good point. So it was also like numb and tingly and every now and then it will just tingle. Um, and I could, and it did it did actually hurt for quite some time. I genuinely think I just got used to the pain. Yeah, yeah. after a while you just ignore it. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, it, it did slowly start to come back. Um, but all I could do is just just kept hammering the, the rehab work. And it was so boring. I know. <laughs> I, I was like to my um, physio and I was like, oh, can I can I still train heavy with my left arm, for example? I don't want that to atrophy. Yeah. Because after like a couple of, what is it? Three to five weeks of non-training, usually it starts uh, to... It depends how sedentary you are. I think it's three three weeks. Three three weeks, yeah, is when if you are very sedentary, you do start to atrophy. That's what the data shows. But um, I, th- I think it, it could be longer if you had some kind of movement, if you had some kind yeah. of um, like muscle tension happening. It, it maybe wouldn't happen that quickly. But yeah, I mean, I think in your case, three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I was like, oh, I mean, fair enough. My right side's out, but it would be nice if I could at least keep my left side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and, and they were like, no, you, you shouldn't really like overdo one side because you could cause an imbalance. You could overstrain it. Okay. So that was annoying. So yeah. <laughs> basically what I was doing, I was trying to train as much as I could. And I had like a pain scale. If it was over five, then I wouldn't want to do it. Because what a lot of my physio friends have told me, if you get injured um, and you just don't do the movement, then sometimes the the muscles and the surrounding tissue can like scab over and scar over. Uh-huh. And then it becomes quite difficult to then start doing that movement again. You sort of oh, yes. add on extra time. So yeah. they're always like, don't completely discard that movement just make sure you're not making it any worse so yeah i just i just kept smashing the cardio not the cardio the rehab and then i think it was around yeah around may time i was able to like properly back squat because obviously i have to squat bench deadlift yeah i could do a safety bar which is where you have the handles in front yeah yeah and although the weight was directly on my trap and like that area it wasn't over a five out of ten yeah. The issue was that I, I couldn't hold the bar because yeah. it was so weak. I, this is mad so, to me. So, so I was like, 
I was just like doing a safety bar and like gripping it with one hand and like sort of just resting it with the other hand. So I was still able to squat. Um, bench press, I couldn't for a long time. I've got videos of me just doing one hand bench press with a dumbbell for ages. So I was doing that. Um, deadlift, I was using a trap bar and straps. Yeah. Because that was, and very light, because that was the only thing I could do is just to keep that movement pattern. And then I was like, oh, I'm supposed to, I forgot, I was supposed to be competing in British championships in like the summer because I was supposed to defend my title. And then if you win that, you qualify to represent GB at Worlds. Oh. And everyone was like, yeah, there's no way I was going to compete. But, <laughs> but I said, I just wanted to see where I was at. So yeah. I decided to set that as a goal. Um, and yeah, I just worked on the rehab, managed to get ready. And I actually competed at the British Championships, which was, which was and cool. you did well, no? You placed pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I came, I came third, actually, yeah. Mate, I love it how you're like, yeah, I just, you know, I really like couldn't do it, couldn't function, just rehab, <laughs> rehab, rehab, and then casually enter the World Championships and come third. Like, it's insane. Like, but well yeah. done you. Like, because this is like, an, I mean, I can I can only ever so slightly imagine after, after the postnatal period and having to do the amount of rehab work that I had to do. And there are some really dark moments where you're like, am I oh, ever yeah. going to get my body back? And for you... I can imagine that would be really big, really scary because of who you are and what you do. And that's, but the fact that you absolutely like immediately like went to, went into the physio, immediately started rehabbing, went to go see as many different people as you could to get as many opinions as you could. This is also why you're so successful because you're like, you're proactive and you want to deal with it and you want, you want to get good information. So how is it now? Is it, where are you with, with the recovery of it? Luckily, I, I would say I'm like, 95 percent better because i can okay. put a number on it so there's certain movements which i personally haven't i haven't done pull up for a while because i was scared of putting too much pressure on my left side and like tear my bicep yeah yeah because there's a lot of weight just in case yeah but like curls i can measure it so it's going to sound ridiculous but originally <laughs> okay. i could hammer curl relatively comfortably like 40 kilos so each arm when i did that obviously i couldn't do like three kilos but now I'm up to, my bad arm is up to 28 kilos. Oh, nice. Okay. That's amazing. So it's there. But things like squat, bench, deadlift, it's all there. 100% back there. Well, that's, I mean, credit to you. And like, I think a good lesson on resilience, like some people would have that happen to them and they'd crumble and they'd be like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Whether it's like, like I said, a lack of, of being proactive about it and trying to solve the problem or just feeling so freaked out because that's really scary to wake up in the middle of the night oh, and not yeah. be able to move and again like especially in the context of what you do and who you are like it's really overwhelming but i just think it's a really inspirational kind of tale of like look you know there are people who can help you even if you don't know what to do you know go looking for the answers put in the work and four months later you were getting third at the championships which i know for you isn't the kind of placing you're used to but that's fucking amazing i, I was actually happy you know what it was yeah. everyone else <laughs> everyone yeah. else has like even higher standards <laughs> yeah yeah they were like they're like how did you do like uh yeah i came third i was really happy because i had nerve damage mm -hmm. and they're like oh haven't you won it like many times in a row i was like yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i, I felt like, but no it's it is incredible and it is something i don't know it makes me feel it makes me feel good inside it makes me feel strong Thanks. it makes <laughs> makes me like you even more than i already did which is a lot as you well know Thanks. well i absolutely loved our chat um what is next for you and please let my audience know where they can find you 
Oh yeah, of course. So you can find me on Instagram. Um, that's where I'm most active, to be honest. Yeah. It's three six five muscle UK. And next, I it also adds on to the previous story. So I have a qualifier in December, mm. and the reason I have to qualify is because I didn't win the British Championships. Yeah. So. I wanted to compete in the European Championships in Helsinki next June. Yeah. Um, and only the winner of British or World Championships get an invite for GB. So I'm going to do a qualifier. To be honest, the qualifier should be quite straightforward. It's more yeah. like you do the, the number that you have to hit. Yes. Yeah. So I should do that in December quite comfortably. Um, <laughs> I love it. But, no biggie. Yeah. It was just me. <laughs> How, I'm really, really excited for you. And I have absolutely no doubt in my head that you're going to put in the work and you're going to smash it and you're going to do absolutely brilliantly. And I'm really happy for you that you've managed to get back to where you were because that is, it is scary what happened and you're a fucking badass. Of course. So guys, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the podcast. You might have noticed in the last couple of weeks, we are now doing it bi-weekly. So there will be a new episode every other week and join me in two weeks time for another brilliant guest. Thanks guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.